And welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is a fair... <laughs> I could just as easily start over, but I'm not going to. This is the premiere podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website. You should probably go there. Listen, this is something special. Obviously, this is not a mainline episode. This is episode 184.9, Chris Gethard, your boy, Chad. That's me. Hello. Hi, I'm Chad. Hi, I'm Chad White. You may recognize me from certain works as... Did I continue to subscribe to this podcast? And I don't know. <laughs> and uh, news time. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I believe this is 184. Is it? I clicked on the wrong thing. Okay, listen, this is episode uh, 184.9. Yes, it is. Because last week's was 184. This is a very special <laughs> bonus episode. Chris Gethard, I sat down with him to discuss. Uh, his podcast, Beautiful Anonymous, over there on the Earwolf Network. And, uh, you know, little known fact, same thing goes for Spanish Aki Presents and uh, and Never Not Funny, my favorite podcast. Uh, we were all co-workers for at least a year. Scripps owned Stitcher. Scripps also owned, uh, or owns, because they sold Stitcher. They also own my uh the, uh, the the television network I work for. So that is a little known fact. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's an interesting fact that we're all coworkers at one point. I feel like if I, I I never think of it in the moment, but I always feel. But every time every time I end the interview, I always go, "Man, I should have told them that." They wouldn't have thought it was interesting. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> That's what they all would have said. Oh, cool. Anyway, Chris Gathered and I uh, talked about. Um, the beautiful anonymous podcast. And then also, you know, I had him for uh, a half an hour, as you can see that this episode is fairly long. So I, I decided to uh, ask him obviously more questions about um, the Chris Gethard show and, and uh, career suicide, his HBO. I'm not even going to say comedy special. I want to say comedy event. Uh, it's an hour and a half long. It's 90 or 80 minutes, 80 or 90 minutes. That's feature length. Technically, feature length is about 61 minutes or 62 minutes, something like that. Um, you'll see a lot of children's movie. I know the, the Winnie the Pooh movie. The, not, the, not Christopher Robin, but the last animated Winnie the Pooh movie, uh, was, which I think was just called Winnie the Pooh, was like 61 minutes long. <laughs> so, yeah, I've seen that movie. Yes, they're made for children. I can hear an airplane going over it. Anyway, Chris Gathard and I sat down to talk about all those things. Uh, he's a really nice guy, very low-key. I enjoyed the conversation. It went about as well as I expected it to. It beyond, beyond, beyond what it was. It was amazing. It was good. Um, uh, you know, watching back these interviews, <laughs> I do note some. Thi- I do notice some things that I do. It's always good when people point out things that you do when. Uh, <laughs> When you're when they hang out when when they talk to you in person or they see it on camera, uh, not not that I'm saying that he did that, but uh, somebody was uh, with this uh, person recently, and uh, they said that sometimes when I'm listening, I I I <laughs> this is gonna sound insane, but I can do it. I'm doing it right now technically, but like I I will hold like a blink for like two seconds and then nod my head in agreeance, 
or an agreement, an agreement with whatever's uh, being said or something. But it's, uh, it, they said it indicates that, um, they said it feels like that I'm really deep, deeply or something like into the conversation or anything. And uh, truly, I'm just listening until you finish talking. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I always listen to whatever people say. So Chris Gethard, very nice guy. We covered the gamut on everything. And then I, I also asked him about how uh, he felt about Upright Citizens Brigade shutting up shop in New York where it all began and how, and he, and he was, you know, he's in the improv scene and he's been doing improv for uh, many, many years. I would probably say about 20 years or something like that. And, and then in, it used to be, was a big part of his life, but uh, he did note that uh, there, there had, there was a change in these, in these non, uh, in these, uh, excuse me, these um, improv in these improv uh, classes and studios and all that things. And, uh, and he, he said, he gave some insight. I, I implore you to listen to that and, and, uh, and to, to listen to this entire thing. So, in the next couple of minutes. Oh my gosh, it's 2.59. The, the, the thing is about to go up right now, live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I got, a, I got this whole thing covered. Listen, so in the next couple of, <laughs> next couple of seconds, we're going to transition over to Chris Gethard. Um, thank you for listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends about the show on all the podcast platforms. You can see a video version of this show, not this particular episode. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll handle that in the regular constitutionals regular, but if you want to see video versions of the constitutionals, youtube.com slash C plus comedy and then uh, C plus comedy, the website for more interviews with your favorite comedians. Anyway, let's hop into Chris Gethard, the Geth. <laughs> Get into it. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Chris. How's it going? It's good. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you for sitting down and talking to me, too, man. Oh. I, re- I really appreciate this. It's a pleasure. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm uh, at work um, right now in Atlanta, and uh, I, I sequestered in an office mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so I could do this in a proper setting and tone so that I give you the respect that you deserve. Oh, that's still kind of sad. <laughs> I, most people, uh, most people don't don't do that. So thank you. That's, well, that's quite nice. You you deserve it because uh, you're a hardworking guy. Are you in the studio right now? Well, my studio is currently a spare bedroom in my house because everything's so quarantined up here and and yeah. whatnot. So technically, I am both in the studio and my home. Yeah. You just uh, you just moved, didn't you? I did. I was in New York for 16 years and, you know, hustling and doing stand up every night and just going for it. And then kind of turned around and said, you know what, I'm pretty tired, man. And I had a son. I had a, I had a baby. So that changes things too. So I've moved out to the uh, suburbs of New Jersey, but not even the suburbs I grew up in, like, like on the edge of the suburbs and the country, pretty far out from the city. Oh, so. okay. It's nice. Yeah, it's uh, that's where that true TV money uh, takes you. <laughs> it's, I mean, I will say, I don't know what, I don't know that I'll ever make good money again in my life, but I'm glad I hoarded it, and now my son gets to grow up in a, in a town with a decent school district. I think that's that's pretty cool, but yeah, it's uh, it's you know, I know you're joking, but it is also like, yeah, no, I did. I took that money, I bought this house, and now I just have to pray I could pay the mortgage for the next thirty <laughs> years. So. I, I think you can. I think uh, 
you you have the ability to i mean you know even now you're you you've been doing this your entire your career but uh uh you put people on your shoulders and you support them uh especially now with things like planet scum and everything yeah. that you're doing uh the new the new show that you're doing it's a you, you you seem to care a lot about others even though like you still have to care about yourself and your family yeah i'm so glad that you say that that's very kind of you uh i think i you know i started doing comedy when i was 20 and i had never really felt a sense of acceptance anywhere i always felt a little bit like i was on the fringes you know high school and college and whatever and i was still young and feeling that pretty acutely and i showed up at the ucb theater 20 years ago and that's when it was a very small place and um very you know i think a community where everybody knew everybody and nobody cared that i was this kid nobody cared that at the time i had this like really cartoonish new jersey accent it was just if you work hard and you're funny people are going to get your back. And then, you know, over the years, you know, I can think of Amy Poehler and Judd Apatow and Mike Birbiglia and a whole bunch of people who kind of gave me some, you know, some opportunities, bought me some breathing room, helped, you know, Mike used to take me out to open for him. It helped actually pay my rent. So, I always remembered that sense of community and belonging and how good it felt. So I, I have, I have always tried to, you know, kind of pay that back and continue that tradition. Not that I'm at the level of any of those people I just named, but you know, when I had my TV show, I'm really proud of the writer's room that I put together. It's a lot of people's first job, a lot of people that have already gone on to bigger and better stuff. And with planet scum, I think it's the same mentality. It's like I spent, four and a half years on public access before anybody took my show seriously. And then I look around at all the sort of more, you know, I guess alt comedians is the phrase that people, that's the label people put on it. And I go, well, maybe I can help construct a platform where they don't need to wait four years to get noticed for doing the stuff that they're driven to do. Maybe this can be a place where people go, Oh, if we want, if we want the stuff that's like, you know, a little more innovative, a little stranger, a little bit harder to pin down exactly where it fits. Like we know where to go to find those weirdos. So I hope it works. It seems like people are, the people finding it are enjoying it. So, um, and I know I'm, I'm pretty psyched to watch all the people who have shows on there. They're all interesting and good. Yeah. I'm down to support, uh, really anybody, anybody trying to do some type of comedy that doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the mainstream stuff. Like, uh, like, I mean, as much as I like Mulaney and Oswald and like everybody else, you know, it's, it's cool that somebody could come out with, uh, some sunscreen on their nose and, and be mm -hmm. a guy who likes vacation and that's his whole shit. And I, well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm so glad you say that because I'm a big fan of just stuff that's just absurd and dumb and taking chances. And I think right now too, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in comedy, right? It's become very polarized. There's, oh, yeah. there's a lot of activist comedy. I have great respect for it. A lot of people who are really driven with their causes and I really am impressed by so much of it. Uh, then you have the, I think like the other extreme, which is people almost like the libertarian comedians, the everything's too PC and 
everybody's just trying to get their points across and sell tickets. I get that. But I do think there's a lot of us who land somewhere in the middle of going, I think we're good people with good head on our heads on our shoulders who just kind of want to experiment and do dumb stuff and, and not necessarily get caught up in, um, you know, this, this like polarization that's, that's gotten so strange. So yeah, I'm with you, like throw some sunscreen on your nose and let's have, let's have a Saturday morning show, you know, uh, our Monday night show is like a parody of who wants to be a millionaire called who wants to 69 where my friend Martin just writes all these fucked up questions. I'm like, just get me, I, I just want give me some jokes, give me that. And certainly I don't want to discount it. A lot of the people on our platform, I think are very motivated and like to help. And if you follow them, they, you know, have a lot to say about social causes and I'm proud of that. But I think on our platform, people are just up there going, and now let's forget about life for a while. Let's escape for a little bit and just do some stuff that's dumb and fun just for the sake of it. And I find it, I find it quite refreshing personally. Yeah. yeah. You now you say that, and uh, I, I I watched um, Career Suicide, mm -hmm. and that was ninety minutes of the heaviest thing. But you, know, I, you, you managed to squeeze a few laughs out of there. But you said something every in, now and then. Every now and then, <laughs> you not said the most laughs per minute of any HBO special for sure. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you said something early on uh, where you list out all the happy things in your happy life, and that that should make you happy. But then you just said people just break. And I think that is a, a very succinct way of, of looking at it that, you know, just because you have everything afforded to you doesn't mean that it, life is going to be what is expected of it. And uh, I think you I think you you, you you hit it right on the head. And then you gave, you know, 10 to you know 12 stories as to why you think the way that you think. And I think yeah. that was uh, very smart of you. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it was um, I feel like that that show is the hardest I've ever worked on anything. It's, uh, I can't imagine ever wanting to put myself out there emotionally like that again, seems to have helped some people. So I'm proud of it, but yeah, that was definitely me kind of, uh, lay, laying it all on the table. And, and, uh, I, I have, I have been, uh, really shocked that people from all different walks of life have responded to it and, um, just makes me realize there's, there's people who feel pretty stressed out and lonely and that's not something that, you know, I think every, every culture people experience that. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I, I tried to do some good and, and talk about it because it's not always easy to talk about. Uh, I noticed, especially with uh, beautiful anonymous and then also, uh, the show, is that you, you have a, a punk rock display with like an empathetic viewpoint and it you're was it easy for you to become comfortable uh you know doing something as big as career suicide or something as tiny as performing at ucb uh in front of the camera or behind the mic it's it's uh that's a great question that's a really great question um i definitely feel like in my gut I'm like, put me, put me in a room with 80 people and no cameras and let's see what happens. And to me, that's like the purest version of why I still do this after all these years is just 
put me in a room that's so small that I can look everybody in the eye. We can have some jokes or it can go off in its different directions. And um, that to me is the purest version of it. And, I, you know, I think the, one of the real challenges of being a comedian, if you do, I, I'm going to sound pretentious, but if you do consider yourself an artist is, is to go, well, now how do I have a show that's on live national, you know, a national cable network live with cameras pointed at me and make everybody at home feel like they're in a place as small as UCB or Union Hall or, you know, in LA, Dynasty Typewriter, all these great venues all over the country. How do I make them feel like it's that intimate? Um, you know, I've, I've performed for crowds of three people. I think the largest I ever performed for was 12,000 people. And I certainly think that when I walk into a room with three people, I go, there's a part of me that goes, man, this is, I get excited. I'm like, I get to give these three people, what if these three people walk away and go, that's the best show I ever saw. And there were only two other people there. Like that to me gets so exciting. And then the challenge is, like I said, now, can I walk into a state? And, and I want to be totally clear. I was opening for a much bigger act. I can't sell 12,000 <laughs> tickets. Let's be clear about that. I would never presume to claim that, but can I, can I walk on this stage in a stadium where to see, you know, they have cameras to put you up on a jumbotron so people can even see your face. And can you make that feel similar in any way to that three people in a room in some basement on the Lower East Side feeling? I think, I think a, a lot of the people who attain that level know how to, know how to do that. I think Chappelle in particular um, I've always heard, like you talk to the, the people who have been at the comedy cellar forever and even Esty who books it always said you could put him, like they would book, you know, outside shows at other venues and some of them would be notoriously bad and the comics would hate doing it because everyone would bomb except Dave Chappelle because he could make any room feel like you were there experiencing something with him. Oh, wow. I always found that really inspiring. You know, how do you how do you take it and put it in any context and make someone feel like they're getting something from you that night and something that's theirs, no matter how many other people are there sharing it. So it's a weird thing to think about, but it's part of why it's so addictive and fun. Yeah. I think that, you know, can extend from the live show setting, like especially going into the podcast, because it's, you the way that the the podcast is produced uh, you know you're it sounds like you're right next to the mic which which makes it feel like you're right next to us and you're just having that one-on-one -on -one conversation with this person and uh even if the if the subject matter isn't as always uh as a beat as you know it usually oh, is yeah. in a podcast setting uh it's it, it can still it still sounds and feels uh tangible and like you can like you can you can be with that person and they can relax and they're able to tell you this stuff barring anything else. Thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was going to be a much more comedic show than it turned into. Certainly. I thought it would be an extension of my old public access show um, where I could just take, I used to just, you know, when I was on public access TV, I used to just take calls and if the calls were interesting or weird or funny, I would just say, all right, stay on the line for 10 minutes. It's public access. Who cares? And then we switched to cable. And of course they're going, well, we have commercial breaks and a time limit and you can't do that. And I got it. So I thought the show would kind of, you know, fulfill that outlet 
for myself and for some of the fans of the show because I really liked those phone calls. I liked it when you know you'd get you had some insane phone calls on on the old show, and I loved it. And I thought we'd get more insane calls, but it, it wound up there's some of those, and then there's some that are very dark. And I learned really quickly, like. I would, I kept trying to make jokes in the dark episodes. I realized, no, that's about me and my ego. Like I got to just kind of get out of the way and let this thing be what it wants to be. And I'm, I'm always surprised about what people will open up and share with me. And I just try to be empathetic. I just try to make sure they know I'm listening in a way that's real and that my phone's on airplane mode and that they get a full hour and, not going to get interrupted by anything i think that sadly kind of goes a very long way in modern society of like hey i won't answer a text for 60 minutes what's up i think that's sadly not a thing most people experience right now and i'm glad people have, have found it and it's giving them something and uh i feel really lucky to do it even though some of the calls can be so dark that they kind of mess with my head at times yeah, I, I, I get it. I, and then, you know, recording in bulk, that would only affect your mood in, in the worst way. Yeah, it's the one, when you say that too, it's like the, 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 the stretch when it's hardest is when we record a bunch and we bank them. And between when it's been recorded and when it's been released, because when it gets released, you know, you get to see the reaction and I would say the, the fans around the show are so nice. So somebody will put out something really difficult and you'll see all the fans online going rallying, you know, I've been there, had a similar experience. We're rooting for you. Hmm. And that releases the pressure, but that interim period when someone calls me and tells me something that's really, really tough to hear. And then it's kind of like, I'm the only one who's heard it. Yeah. That's a weird stretch of my life. Um, because when it goes out there, you, that community kind of, embraces it and there's some positivity there and it almost sort of diffuses diffuses it for me or dilutes that the way that it's kind of sitting in my guts but it's uh i don't know why i've done so many things in my career that are kind of psychologically <laughs> like <laughs> heavy to myself but it's it's a consistent trend that i can't figure out it uh you know when i was doing my research for the show uh I like to, I, I went to the, to the Apple podcast page because that's the barometer of what makes a successful podcast apparently. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was looking at reviews uh, and the ones that are like five star are the like genuine, they take it, they're like, I love the show, blah, blah, blah. But the, the worst reviews are like the one star and the two stars. And the headlines are like, he's excruciatingly patient. Uh, I <laughs> wish the hosts would let the callers speak. And then uh, this one two star one says, it's a good show, but it's a hardcore downer. And they give it two stars. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You... I think it's valid. I think it's valid. Really? If you're like, well, I mean, I think if somebody's like, oh, I love the idea, man, and like random phone calls. I do think there's probably a lot of people, I don't know. There's probably a lot of people that would go, man. I get I get why some people might go, why don't you just like throw out all the ones that are heartbreaking or brutal, you know, and just like mm. get the really funny ones. I I bet that it would I bet that it would you know, it's got a very healthy audience, but I bet it would have more of a chance of blowing up in a bigger way because it's easier, but I don't want to make it easier. At the end of the day, this show's about real life. So yeah. um if people find me excruciatingly patient or 
this show's too much of a bummer. I get it. I get it. it it's certainly not for, it's not for everybody, but I think uh, there's a certain type of person out there who feels like unlistened to, or maybe like a little bit like they, like the world is a little too fast paced for them to really lock in with other people. And I think show means a lot for them. But yeah, if you're, if you're looking for, you know, I think it's also, we just switched it about six months ago from the comedy section of, of Apple to, uh, I think it's now in society and culture, which that's oh, the other thing. If, you, if you're going through like, oh, let me explore the comedy podcast. <laughs> and then you turn it on and we just released an episode where a guy's talking about, legit, it was a horrible story, heartbreaking about how he, his family suffered a home invasion and his father was killed and he was home. And I'm like, yeah, I get that if you're clicking around the comedy charts on Apple Podcasts and that's what you find. You might feel a little blindsided, but it's, uh, it's, I think those are valid criticisms and I can take them uh, for sure. Well, I, it, it's interesting. I, like, I, there's Obviously, there's an audience for this because the Facebook group has 34,500 people in it uh, yeah. and you've been going for years. I remember when you started, uh, I thought... I always thought you were too busy and too big for a podcast, but now, you know, Conan has one and uh, Dax Shepard has one. So, uh, I mean, now it's great, but now it's a super popular show that uh, just like your regular show, just like the public access show has found a niche of people and it is uh, thriving in that niche, even though, even though it's not the most uh, popular podcast out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I feel so lucky. It's got, a really healthy audience all these years in it's my main job now it's nice of you to say that you felt like like i was too big but it's well it's one of those things that i knew i was on a little bit of a hot streak you know like uh my tv show was on cable and and the hbo special hit and mike birbiglia's movie came out and all those things were right within like a two or three year gap. So all of a sudden for a guy who's always kind of flown under the radar, I had this hot streak, but I knew, um, you know, those times come and go and beautiful and anonymous wound up not, not just being this like consistent safety net, but this thing that's become this really beautiful thing in my life. And actually something that I, I think, I don't even know if people who listen to it understand what a sense of, agency it's given me and freedom it's given me i remember one of the development executives on my tv show because things got really tense between us and the network you know like our show got canceled so obviously there were some conversations along the way that weren't always pleasant and one of our development execs was someone who i had actually known for like 15 years she pulled me aside and she's like look i know it's getting really tense it's really it's tough she's like at the end of it i think this is just kind of part of how tv works and I wasn't thinking too hard about it. And I just kind of blurted out. I was like, yeah, that's why I don't know if I'm going to work in TV after this. Mm. And she kind of like took a step back and was like, wait, are you telling me you're going to, you're, we're scaring you away from the entire medium of television. And I was like, well, I was like, you got to keep in mind, like my podcast, I get to pay my rent with it. It's nice to have TV show money, but I'm, I've never been money driven. And I'm like, I could pay my rent with this thing where I just talk to nice people once a week and no one ever gives me notes or yells at me or I never get caught up in these like fast paced, high pressure gears that TV insists on having. So 
He's like, you got to realize I have this whole other thing going that's just kind of like pleasant and empowered and community driven and nobody gets to yell at me about it. And mm. I, I knew very quickly with this show that all the other things happening in that hot streak were very nice and I was very proud of them, but this felt special and low key and in a really beautiful way. And, you know, I would like to think that any of the comedy I did that was further and wider, my impulse was still always like, can you connect with people? So it makes sense to me that the thing that's lasted longest is the show that's me just connecting one-on-one with people because that's always what's felt best to me about being a performer. And, and, and that connection is so genuine because you you have these moments where you're hearing these stories and uh, and you're just you're allowing you're allowing silence to sit there and the editors leave it in and you just sit there and if someone is tearing up and they're about to cry uh, or they're nervous and but you know they're about to get to the next point you have the hosting ingenuity to allow that to naturally happen instead of trying to force something which I think is really appreciated when people are telling these stories. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And, you know, that is something that I had to learn over the first, you know, six to 12 months of the show. Like you had cited one of those iTunes reviews that was like, the guy just talks over people. And I'm like, yeah, like I think in the early days I did, cause I didn't really know what the hell was going on. I'm like, why? I remember in the early days of the show, like someone calls me and tells me what it was like to escape from a religious cult. And I'm sitting there going, I thought this was a comedy podcast. How do I have this conversation? And then sometimes I'd get so nervous that I would start making too many jokes or cutting people off. So I just have learned over the years, like let people get comfortable, let people feel like they got a platform where they're protected and then get out of the way. And that's what's fun about that show. And, Actually, I think a lot of my old improv training comes into play where, you know, ideally with improv, what they teach you, which is not really what happens on stage very often, but they teach you, like, try to support the other person, try to further the other person's idea, make it about the other person first, protect the other person. And I think a lot of those instincts kind of, even though I haven't done improv in almost 10 years, I think a lot of those instincts, that muscle memory is still there with Beautiful Anonymous because a lot of it is just me using those old improv techniques that help you focus in on the other person and, and doing that for uh, an anonymous voice on the phone. Now, uh, really quick, how did you, how do you feel about uh, places, given your background in improv, places like UCB and uh, Chicago IO and, or Second City, like all these other places that are improv staples shutting down uh, or moving shop completely? It's sad. Um, I certainly feel nostalgic for my past certainly makes me remember finding UCB at the age of 20 and feeling like, oh man, like this. Because I had grown up going to a lot of punk rock shows. My older brother was very into music and I always loved it, but not always for the music. I, I liked the vibe. I liked how it was like kids making stuff. I liked that it wasn't always good, but that it, people were experimenting and allowing it to not be good. And UCB back then really felt like that. So I remember that. But it, I think if I'm being honest, um, I think UCB still had a lot of good going for it, but I don't think it was totally that anymore by the time it yeah. shut down in New York. I think, um, you know, it became the big kid on the block and swelled. And I had a lot of us from the old days used to joke, like, 
when we first found it, it was punk rock. And then it, now it's a little more new wave, you know, it's a little bit more cleaned up. You find mm -hmm. it on MTV, you know? Um, and then if I'm being totally honest, you know, there was a lot of controversy about how they didn't pay performers and yeah. initially, you know, I, I did put some stuff out there publicly about, you know, here was my experience and why it was okay. And then as the years went on, I think I reconsidered that more. And I think that problem became more and more evident. I think, um, you know, God bless all the people who worked there. I, I don't know that it was the most artist friendly environment by the end of its time in New York. I think, right a lot of times artists felt like there were a lot of rules. And again, when you become the big kid on the block, it's, you know, there are, uh, there's a lot more standards and rules and things like that. And I get why some people felt unwelcome there. So at the end of the day, you know, I, I still have the memories of when it was like a really strange hole in the wall where everybody was smoking pot in the basement. Like, yeah. and I have those memories and maybe it's for the best, but I don't know. That's also selfish because there's a lot of performers without a home now, but yeah. I think it's very clear that the improv bubble has burst and um, it, it, it makes me sad. Although I understand how, how, you know, a lot of the institutions maybe lost sight of, of that original energy. And uh, I just hope that the improv bubble bursting isn't, isn't a canary in the coal mine for, Oh, yeah. comedy at large because I've, I've had that fear between you know just the fact that there's now hundreds of comedy specials that come out every year and yeah. you're seeing improv going away pretty quickly I think I think it was pretty shocking to see oh IO and UCB New York are just gone just off the chessboard that was quick so I just hope that we don't hit like another bubble burst like they did um, you know in that legendary stretch uh when it went from every stand-up used to get a sitcom deal to just comedy scene being dead so yeah i hope it's not indicative of of a bigger wave of closings and less opportunities for comics yeah sorry and, uh, i ramble so much in my answers by the way no 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 that's completely fine people love that um <laughs> which i'm serious i'm not being sarcastic people oh no i'm happy to hear it happy uh, to hear it now I feel I feel like no one ever asked you this. So how are you doing? How are you, how are you holding up? Thanks so much for asking. Um, I'm doing relatively well, all things considered. Um, I think buying a house in the suburbs in January wound up being a pretty lucky thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of the people who fled New York City in the face of COVID, but I was pretty psyched to have a house that I was moving into. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm a little more out in the middle of nowhere. I have, I have a 19 month old son and it's like, honestly, a pretty, it's like a pretty joyous thing. And selfishly, like my wife and I always say, like we get to hang out with someone every day who has no idea anything's wrong. So that's nice. That's very nice. So I think I'm lucky compared to a lot of people and the people in my life are healthy. And I'm, I'm, I really thank God for that. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I have a lot of anxiety in general and career anxiety. And like everybody, I've lost a bunch of money this year that I'm, that I usually make touring and yeah. all that stuff's stressful, but I got my house, I got my family and, uh, 
that's more than a lot of people have these days. So I'm extraordinarily grateful. And thank you for asking. How are you? How are you doing these days? How are you holding up? You know, uh, I, I, I work in a, a, a very, very local, hyper-local network in Atlanta. So it's a good area, but uh, not in, increasingly creative. Uh, and it sucks. But you know what? I got a full-time job. I have health care. I got a house. I got a cat. Not a house. I got an apartment. I got a cat. And uh, so I'm, I'm very lucky. Cat so goes I, a long way. Cat yeah. goes a long way. I just got her and she's very sweet. Uh, she's sick, mm -hmm. but I love, oh, no. her. I love her to death. Yeah. Okay. Just a, just a common cold. Just a common cold. There you <laughs> go. A cat with a cold, it's, that's a pretty adorable yeah. uh, problem at the end of the day. Her sneezes are just oh, <laughs> making me heartwarming. Uh, I thank you so much for sitting down with me. Uh, that It was cool. such a great thing. I've been a huge fan for a long time. So Thank you so much. Wonderful. And, and uh, thank you for having me and for all the thoughtful questions. It was really a pleasure. Of course. I, had, I actually listened to a bunch of Morrissey on uh, YouTube music oh, today. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, just, to, just to get into the, into the spirit into of the Into the vibe. Yeah. I'm glad. Although he's, uh, he keeps saying all this heartbreakingly closed-minded stuff and it's... Uh, it's kind of a bummer that I've made such public declarations and, and have his name tattooed on my arm. I got to figure out how to adjust that tattoo so that it's not as problematic as he's becoming. You could put uh, the years that you like really were like behind him, like, you know, yeah. uh, 1980 to 2000. I've thought of putting 80s era above the word Morrissey. I thought of putting remember when Morrissey wasn't crazy, but then I'm sitting there going, man, do I really want to make this tattoo even bigger just to have a permanent <laughs> bit on my arm? <laughs> a few years ago, I would have said absolutely, but now I have a son to look in the eye. So that does oh, yeah. a lot of my formerly kind of manic and insane choices. Now I go, wait a second. There's a guy who's going to ask me why I did that. And uh, I don't want to... I already, I'm like, he's going to find the old footage of the public access show someday. And I have a lot of explaining to do. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. maybe he'll get a tattoo of uh, the head singer from Greta Van Fleet. Oh, <laughs> I yes. His, I wonder who his eras Morrissey will be and who he will foolishly commit to life uh, promoting. Yeah, that's, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see in 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but thank you again, Chris. I, I super thank appreciate you. it. And yeah. good luck to you and your family and everything. Yes, good luck to you and the cat. And, and thank you again.